Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading comes from Jeremiah 18, 1 through 12. You can follow along in your worship guides or in your Bible. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, and it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. O house of Israel, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, That is in vain. We will follow our own plans, and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Morning. We are continuing our vision series that we do every year at this time uh, of the year. So if you're visiting with us, this is a great time for you to be with us this morning. And the reason we do a vision series uh, this time of year every year is to recenter us as a body around the call that God has placed on us as a church. Uh, a church that seeks the flourishing of the city of Greensboro through cultural, social, and spiritual renewal. So the impetus behind this theme is, uh, as we go through Jeremiah, is to continue to submit ourselves before God, allow Him to shape and transform us in such a way that we're able to run with the proverbial horses uh, and not grow tired in God's mission to this city and the renewal of all things. So this morning, we're going to look at Jeremiah 18, um, and this passage is a reminder to us that God is at work doing the work of renewal in us and in the world. Um, as many of you guys know, I've talked about this time a couple of times, but when I was a young pup, uh, I went and I worked as a youth director at a church in Charleston, and uh, I was young, and I was just getting started out in ministry, and around the same time that I uh, started working there, they hired a new worship pastor, right? His name was Patrick. I thought he was the coolest person. And so one of that like first week or two that we both were working together, I asked him to go to lunch. Right, So we set up a lunch date. I wanted to get to know him. He was older than me, kind of a couple stages of life ahead of me. I really wanted to learn from him and, and uh, you know, get to know him, be friends maybe. And so uh, that day that our lunch comes around, I'm sitting in my office. And I'm sitting there, and Patrick doesn't come when the time comes, and uh, he doesn't show up. And so I go to his office, and he's not in there. And I'm like, oh, he must be working on something. He must have gotten behind. He, he's working on something for Sunday or, uh, you know, he's got something important. So I go to the sanctuary. He must have just, you know, he must be wearing something. I'll go grab him. We'll go to lunch. Not in the sanctuary. He's not working. So what's going on here? So I go to a different parts of the church. I'm trying to find him. Got to be doing something. He's not. 
Go back, see, maybe he came back to the office. Maybe I missed him. Wasn't in the office. I look outside, and Patrick is on the phone. But it's like one of those things where I'm watching him, and I'm like, this isn't a serious phone call. He's laughing. Hands are moving. He's very animated. He's really engaged. And I realized, he forgot. He forgot my lunch date. And he comes back into the office about 30 minutes. And I just sit out there. I watch him like a creep through the window. Um, and he stops by my office and goes, man, that was my buddy from Texas. It was really, really good to catch up with him. And he just walks back to his office and sits down. And just forgotten. Your boy was just sitting there like crestfallen, you know. Uh, <laughs> now, this is not a big deal, right? These things happen all the time. Uh, had I said something to him. Uh, he would have been very apologetic. Maybe we would even have gone then or something. And um, I kind of was like pouting, right? So I didn't do that. Um, but here's what I felt in that moment, right? I felt like he didn't like me. I felt like he was, I wasn't important to him. That lunch with me was not uh, important enough for him to remember. Or worse yet, talking to his buddy was way higher on the priority list than getting to know me. But I think this story stuck uh, out to me the most this week as I was preparing for this sermon because uh, I th- the reason is this. I thought that he had to be working, right? I was like, he must just be doing something so important to miss that lunch date with me. Working on something so good. But he wasn't. <laughs> um, he was just catching up with his buddy. I think often um, we're in a similar place, right? We live in a world that can feel so dark and broken that sometimes the only thing we can think is, where is God? What is he doing? I hope he's got something really important going on right now. I hope he's uh, behind on some stuff because what's going on here is not good. We need some help. I hope he's not laughing with a buddy on the phone somewhere because we need him here. Often it can feel like God is absent in a world that seems to be falling apart around us. And uh, sometimes I think we feel that, the weight of that corporately. But I wonder if the, the bigger issue for us is that we feel like God is absent with us, personally. We feel missed by Him. Like He doesn't care enough to change our circumstances. That He doesn't see how hard life is for us in our current life stage. The pain and anxiety that we feel on a daily basis. He must be at work doing something big because we don't feel like he's at work in and through us now. I mentioned earlier, um, we're in our vision series, right? And so much of our vision here at Hope Chapel is to seek the flourishing of the city for the sake of the gospel, the renewal of the city. But I know it's hard for us at times to even imagine doing that work when we question whether or not God is even at work himself. But here is where the words of God to Jeremiah come in for us. In our fear, in our anxiety, in our sin, the feeling of abandonment, in our frustration, the words come and they say, go down to the potter's house. See the potter at work. The potter is at work. Our reminder this morning, our hope, is that He's at work in us and in the world. He's not absent, that He is at work. And the best way... For us, as God's people, to see the potter at work is to go down to the potter's house. 
We must open our eyes to the work of God's kingdom all around us because He is at work here in us and in the world. The best way to see God at work is through His people. The best way to see God at work is through us, His people. And this is the image of the potter and the clay, right? The potter is shaping the clay to his purposes and to his will to do the work that he wants and needs him to do, right? But the potter is not idle and neither is the clay. Both working in tandem, shaping and being shaped to do the work and the will of the potter. And so it is with us. So this morning we're going to see that God is indeed doing the work of renewal right now. And he is shaping us. He's shaping me and you and Hope Chapel together to do that work with him. And we're going to see he does this in three ways. So first, we must find our usefulness in Christ despite our shortcomings. We must find beauty in Christ despite our sufficiency, our supposed sufficiency. And finally, we must find our love in Christ despite our sin. Will you pray with me? God, we know that you are at work. That is our hope and Um, This morning, Father, we ask for you and your spirit to empower us to partner with you in that work. And in uh, that partnership, Father, that we see you and that we're drawn near and close to you. Uh, It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. So our usefulness, despite our shortcomings. Verse uh, 1 says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there... I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. One thing that is cool about um, God is that he's creative, right? Uh, We know this for like a bunch of reasons, but uh, we see it in creation, we see it in people, we see it in art that's being made. Uh, But one thing that I love about this is that he could have just told Jeremiah the story of a potter, right, and the clay. But he said, go. He was like, I'm going to do a lived out parable for you so that you can kind of experience this parable. And maybe in experiencing it, it'll sink deeper into your heart so you can relay it to the people. That's a creative kind of way. I love when God does that with us as people. And what a picture, right? Jeremiah goes to the potter's house, and the first thing he sees, he, he sees him working at the wheel. He's not inactive. He, he's at work when Jeremiah walks in. And he's creating. And the clay he's using is spoiled. It's not good. It's bad. And the first thing that I do, right, um, I, I think I uh, drank some bad milk last night with the uh, fourth meal cereal that I had. Um, I should have tossed that milk, Right? Because it was kind of spoiled. I paid for it today. Um, But the potter doesn't do that, right? The potter sees the spoiled clay and decides it's too valuable to be chucked. We don't discard it. He's going to shape it into something useful. So he takes that spoiled bit and he reworks it around all the healthy, good pieces of clay around it. And he makes it into something. The clay, despite being spoiled, was was too valuable and and shaped into something that was going to be too useful for him to let go. And when I read this passage, that this imagery of being spoiled resonates with me in a lot of ways, um, specifically to some of my identity issues. I can often feel like um, I am a piece of spoiled clay 
around a lot of healthy and good clay. Often I don't feel like I'm valuable or that I'm enough. Um, That idea of being the rotten, spoiled piece makes a lot of sense to me um, for some reason. And here's what this takes me. I don't know if it takes you this way, but it takes me here. Because I'm the spoiled piece, because I'm the rotten piece, God can't use me. I'm not useful for him. I couldn't possibly be worthy because I'm the spoiled one. I'm the dirty one. I'm not enough. How could he? But to each of us that feel this way, this passage is is hope for us. Because it's saying to each of us, funny enough, you are spoiled. You are the rotten one. But he says, I'll still use you. Have you ever considered how intimate uh, the setting is of a potter at the wheel? His hands are dirty. He's, he's constantly touching and shaping, moving around the clay as it moves around on the wheel. He sees every inch of it as the wheel turns. He changes it and shapes it as he sees fit. He sees the beginning. It's just like this lump of clay with this nasty piece. But he has a vision of what it will become. And he sees it. He sees the beginnings. knows the end. He sees the impurities and places and works it um, where it needs to be worked out in its lumpiness. He's careful and firm, light and heavy, and he shapes it. In the same way, the potter that takes that much care in the way he shapes the vessel, God too takes that much care in the way he shapes us. When all we see is our shortcomings, the rotten bits of us, the potter, God our Father, he doesn't see that. He sees what we could be. He has a vision for us. He has a plan for us. And he will constantly and vigilantly work to shape us into his people with a purpose. To be his hands and feet in his kingdom. He doesn't throw us out. He doesn't discard us. But he wants to reshape and reform our wayward hearts. And those shortcomings that seem like a barrier to us, he wants to turn into strength. That's part of the reworking piece, right? He takes the broken bits and makes them stronger. He makes them into strengths. He puts them around the healthy pieces to make them strong, like Christ in us. If we're going to see the renewal of the city as a church, at Hope Chapel, we have to see two things. First, because of the sin in our hearts, because of the willful rebellion in our hearts, we are that spoiled, rotten piece. But second, despite that sin and our shortcomings and our inability to follow God, He still wants to work in and through us. He wants to partner with us. He wants to make us useful for Him in the ordinary and extraordinary areas of our life. And we get to do that together. The God of the universe doesn't just see you as useful. He makes you useful for his purposes. Um, Tommy Boy, fantastic movie. Just, it's a great movie. It really is. Uh, Chris Farley, R.I.P., David Spade, electric, truly. And if you've ever seen the film, it's about a man named Tommy. Tries to go on the road, make sales calls for his father who owns a brake pad factory after his dad unexpectedly passes away, heart attack, his own funeral. 
or sorry, his own wedding, um, became his funeral. Oh, that's, that's dark. Um, so he goes on the road with his dad's assistant to make a lot of sales calls, right? To try to sell these brake pads that he's never done before. And he's really, really bad at selling brake pads. And his dad was a legend at it, right? Like a legend. Well, there's this one scene that really sticks out to me. So um, him and the assistant, David Spade, they stop for gas and they need more oil in the engine, right? So Tommy takes oil and he puts it in the engine and they get back in the car and they're driving down the highway and the hood flies up while they're on the highway and they turn and they scream and then the hood flies down. There's an 18-wheeler right in front of them and they're about to crash into it and they veer off the side of the road, hit a ditch and they crash. And he had left the bottle in the hood and it didn't attach properly. And uh, David Spade turns to him, shook up and upset, rightfully so. And he says, you can't properly attach the hood if you leave the can in the hood. And then he says this, you no-selling waste of space. I swear you are worthless. Which is really mean. That's like a, I think the scene stood out to me because I was like, wow, that is like the meanest thing you can say to someone. And Tommy puts his head down, and he says, it's, it's, the, it's David Spade's car. And he says, I'm sorry about your car, but don't call me worthless. I'm trying my best. I'm not my dad. And David Spade says, that's right, you're not your dad. He could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves, which is awesome. <laughs> and then they proceed to get out and fist fight. Um, but... That scene is bonkers, but what I really, I, I love it because I feel like, um, and, and hear me if you felt this too, I felt like I've been in that driver's seat after I've messed up or felt like I'm not enough or not good enough and someone named or unnamed is right there in that seat next to me saying, you're worthless. You're worthless. And I want so bad to not believe it. Tommy didn't have his dad to tell him that, to show him how useful he could be, to shape him, to teach him all his selling tricks. But what's true of us is that our good and loving father is not dead. He's alive and he's at work and he is shaping us. He is working with us and he's looking at me and he's looking at you and he's telling us, you have great value. I want to make you useful. You have purpose and worth you are not worthless. He wants to form us into something new and beautiful, and he wants to use us for his purposes in the world. What a privilege that is, that we get to partner with him in that. Have you ever considered how useful pottery is? Before the eventual, uh, invention of vessels to carry things in, solid, durable vessels, people lived day to day, right? Because they could only have what they could hold in their hands, right? They had nothing to store in, they had nothing to carry in. So with the invention of pottery, people could carry things. They could store water, supplies. It changed the history of the world because it was the most useful tool to ever be invented up to that point. It's actually uh, the invention of pottery is what started the Neolithic age, that where civilization started. Once you could store things and carry things, civilization could happen. God is likening us to that. Even in our shortcomings and spoiled bits. He wants us to be made into something that could change the world. It's amazing. 
And it brings us to our second point. Um, he is doing the work of renewal. We get to partner with him in it. And so we must find our usefulness in him, and now we must find our beauty. Verse 5 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So if you need any more proof that the point of this living parable uh, is about God's people being shaped by God, he literally spells it out for us right here. He doubles down on the parable. Rarely in scripture and prophetic visions uh, and literature does God explain his vision so clearly. So when he does, we should pay attention. And these points that we talked about earlier, God shaping us intimately, entering into our mess, using us despite our shortcomings, look for no further than God saying, can I not do with you as the potter has done? Oh, Israel, so are you in my hand. He cares about the clay in his hand because he wants to shape it into something useful, yes. But he cares about it because he wants to make it into something beautiful. He's not just utilitarian. He's an artist. So much so that if the people he holds in his hands turn from him, he will give them every opportunity to turn back. This is what verses 7 through 10 say. Hear the grace in these passages. He says, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I have intended to do for it. These verses are certainly verses of judgment, um, but they're also verses of affirmation and grace. The potter's shaping the clay, but the clay has agency, right? There's a push and a pull, a tension and a partnership between the artist and his creation, the painter and the canvas, the florist and the flowers, the musician and the instrument, the designer and the design. Both are dynamic, pushing and pulling against one another. But the artist is always in control, bending and shaping the art to its will. So too is God with us. He's shaping us in his will for his glory and our good, but we're not automatons, right? We have agency and choice. And this is both incredibly freeing for us, but terrifying. Because it means we can turn away from him. And when that happens, disaster comes. But the hope of this passage is that when we do follow the will and way of the potter, we become something not just useful, but beautiful. The words relent, build, plant, all positive affirmations that we have a God who wants to shape us into something beautiful. Um, Andrea and I have a large hutch in our dining room. Dining room. Um, it's really beautiful in its own right. Uh, we use it mainly for storage, as it were. But uh, it's long and tall, but not very deep, right? So it's actually not a lot of storage. Um, but one thing that fits well in it is platters. And we have, guys, we have so many platters. Like, we have a lot of decorative platters. And uh, you know where they're from? They're from our wedding eight years ago. Eight years ago, and we still have them all. People did not want to uh, buy stuff off our registry. They're like, we're going to get them a cheese platter. And then, like, 80 of them decided to do that. Um, and they're gorgeous, legit. Like, they're, a lot of them are really pretty. Uh, but they're not useful because we don't use them. 
And then I also have a, um, if I have a vice in my life, uh, it's buying things when my wife is out of town. Um, this happened a few years ago. I went on this deep dive on the internet, uh, about toaster ovens, <laughs> and I found that this toaster oven, the reviews were incredible. I mean, this thing was like life-changing for your kitchen, right? Um, and I just had to have it, and I spent a lot of money on it, too much money. And Andrea came home, and it was not happy, um, not just because the money I spent on it, but also because it was enormous and so ugly. Like, this thing is so big and ugly. But man, we use that thing like three or four times a week. I, I will use it today. I used it yesterday. Very useful, not beautiful. What's cool about pottery uh, is that each piece shaped by the potter's hand is a work of art. And it's incredibly utilitarian as well. It's pottery in its own way is useful and beautiful both. Many things can be beautiful. Many things can be useful But truly, the special things are things that are both. And this is what God is shaping us into as his people. Something beautiful but useful. Not one and not the other. Both in tension with one another. Um, Let's be honest for a moment. Let's have a moment of honesty with ourselves. If we ask the world, if we ask culture whether or not they think Christians are useful and beautiful, what would they say? If we ask a watching world whether or not they think the Christian community is beautiful, I wonder what they would say. The Christian way of life and ethos is no longer looked at as positively in the world. We are now in a post-Christian society. That means that our status in the world has changed. And this means the way that we move towards the world must change as well. What are we going to do with that? Here's what scripture tells us. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has made us into something new in him. A new community. A community that is useful and beautiful. And it's useful because, and beautiful because Christ is useful and beautiful. When the watching world sees us, they should see Christ. When culture sees us, they should see Christ. I think for us as Christians to recapture our right to speak to a watching world, we must recapture the beauty of Christ. And this will call us to a few things. But I think they're helpful corrections for us this morning. Christ in us will shape us into something beautiful to the world when we become more known for the way that we move in mercy towards the world than condemnation. When we become more known for the way we move in love towards the world than judgment. When we become more known for the way we speak in truth toward the world rather than words of deceit and manipulation. When we become more known for our grace than our self-righteousness. And most of all, May we become more known for declaring the glory of Jesus Christ than our own. The reason I put supposed sufficiency in this point is because I think we often think it is up to us to be beautiful to the world. We have to plant our flag here. We have to plant our flag here. We have to be on this side or this side. And if we do that, the world will think we're beautiful. They'll accept us. They'll like us. We think it's our beauty that will attract the world to us. And this leads us down a dark and sometimes narcissistic path. But the greatest apologetic we can have in this post-Christian society is to show the world His beauty through us. Not our beauty, but His. 
Hear that again. The greatest apologetic we can have in this post-Christian world is to show the world's Christ's beauty through us. Are we doing that? Now don't hear what I'm not saying. The gospel is offensive. There's something to be said that our witness will always be one that is divisive as the will and way of God pushes against the values of the world. It always will be. Christ will never be beautiful to everyone and neither will we be. And that's okay. Because if we embrace the gospel, if we become more and more like Christ, then God the Father will find us beautiful. And the people of the world will see Him through us. And He calls us His own. And that, world, that word over us matters more than anyone else's word over us. He shapes us into something beautiful. And that is more than enough. Are we embodying that this morning? And He is at work. Regardless of how bad it gets and the renewal that He's working in and through the world, we're being shaped into a people that get to partner with Him in it. So first, our usefulness in Christ, our beauty in Christ, and now our love in Christ. So our passage doesn't end on a high note. I hate to tell you. It says this, Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return from your evil ways and amend your way and your deeds. So uh, with much of prophecy, God tells Jeremiah to encourage and plead with Israel and Jerusalem to turn away from their evil and sin. And one of my favorite parts uh, of this passage that we've mentioned a couple times is that though God is the potter and the potter is shaping the clay, we still have agency. The clay is agency. God continually tells his people they must turn away from their sin. If they just turn away, he will save them. It's not a foregone conclusion that Israel is destined for destruction and disaster. All they have to do is repent. And yet verse 12 tells us that they don't. They respond, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans and everyone will act according to the stubbornness of his own evil heart. Of all the verses in this passage, maybe even more than the spoiled one, verse 12 sticks out to me because it rings true for the state of my heart. When faced with God's will and way, I often choose to follow my own plan, act accordingly to the stubbornness of my own heart. Do you do that? The words of Jeremiah to Israel is the same word to us. If that is the state of our heart, God is shaping disaster to us. And what we know about Israel is that they consistently turn their back on God and pay the consequences for it. And they pay the extreme consequences at times. But here's the hope of the gospel, and it's the hope for us. God never turned his back on them. When they rebelled against him, he never left their side. When they turned their hearts from him, he never stopped pursuing them. And the reason he would never forsake them, regardless of the evil and stubbornness of their hearts, is because their sins were soon to be paid for. Disaster and destruction were a foregone conclusion for Israel, except for the love of Jesus Christ. Disaster and destruction was a foregone conclusion for me and for you, except for the love of Jesus Christ. This passage ends on a hard but truthful note, right? Our hearts are stubborn and they are evil and we choose to follow our own plans. And yet the end of the story, not this story, but the big story, doesn't end in disaster. It ends in a feast. It doesn't end in evil. It ends in love. 
It ends not in judgment, but in the renewal of all things for those that profess faith in Jesus Christ. This is what took Jesus to the cross. Love for his people and for all of creation. The passage shows that we were headed for judgment and Christ took our judgment so that we can be made new again. When we were headed for destruction, Christ was destroyed for us. And when we chose evil over him, Christ became evil so that we could have life. When we chose sin, Christ became sin for us so that we could have his love. Don't you see? This is why we seek the renewal of the city. Because the love of Christ is what brings renewal to ourselves, our own hearts. And the disaster and destruction that could be a foregone conclusion for Greensboro is not. Because the love of Christ is renewing the city. And we get to partner with him in it. Destruction is not the end for Greensboro and it's not the end for you because Christ loves this place and he loves you and he died for it. It is the love of Jesus Christ despite our sin that makes us useful and beautiful. It enables us each and every one of our ways and our spheres of influence and our unique passions and personalities. You are a gifted bunch of people. Honestly, sometimes I'm amazed at how much God has gifted you, our congregation. And you've done amazing things. You've created great art. You've created amazing businesses. You've created incredible organizations to bring about the flourishing of this city. And the reason that we do that It's for the love of Jesus Christ, both on us and on this city. That is an encouragement. And so my encouragement is, let's do more. Let's continue to grow in that. Let's continue to find the ways that Christ has enabled us in his love for our passions and our personalities and our giftings to be about the renewal of this city. Let's continue to do it. Because as we do, we get to partner with him in his work. He is at work. Remember, the more that we partner with God in his renewal of all things, the more we will see him at work. The more that we work with him, the more we see him and grow close to him. Peter, uh, Pat, sorry, Patrick and I did end up hanging out. We became good friends. He became a mentor to me. Um, he was there for me in the disaster that my early 20s were. Um, but I think that some of my favorite times were when we got to work together. Projects, theology, moving chairs in a sanctuary, which is a lot of ministry life. Colin will tell you that. Um, It was in that partnering that we grew close to one another. And I learned from him. And honestly, he shaped me in a lot of ways. The same is true of us. We partner with Christ in the renewal of all things. We grow close to him. And in turn, he moves towards us and shapes us. Will you go out on mission for his kingdom? Will we do that as God's people? Amen.